If you will please turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4 can be found on page 752 in the Bibles under your chairs. Let me please invite everyone to find a copy of the scriptures and turn there. Children, you too, teenagers, everyone, turn on your screens, whatever it takes, because if you're not looking at God's word while I'm preaching, what I'm telling you is going to sound very, very strange. <laughs> one note there as you're turning to Hosea chapter 4, this is a long chapter, but one thing you should note that the Bible that we use uh, officially as a church is the ESV, the English Standard Version. I know many of you have the NIV and other versions, and the language is a little different, and especially in this chapter, and the reason why the language is different is Particularly, the book of Hosea was written originally in Hebrew. And so to translate Hebrew to English, especially in Hebrews chapter 4, is very, very, Hosea chapter 4, is very, very difficult. And so that's why you're going to notice some of the differences. But ESV, the Pew Bible, is what I'm going to be reading from. Hosea chapter 4, this is God's holy, authoritative word to us this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughter will play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to beth Aven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. 
Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Let's ask the Lord for wisdom on this one. Let's pray. Father, we, we need spiritual discernment that can only be given by your Holy Spirit to help us understand and apply your word. So, Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first three chapters of Hosea, we learned about the disastrous marriage between the prophet Hosea and his adulterous wife, Gomer, and how we learned that this relationship was to be a picture of what God's relationship was like with his people. Hosea represented the Lord God, and Gomer represented the unfaithful people. But what we learned is God is a loving God, even to his unfaithful people. But now here in Hosea chapter 4, we see a transition. And this transition starts to read, this chapter starts to read kind of from what we expect to read when we read the prophets. Very harsh, very judgmental. Yahweh is no longer using this loving relationship and loving language to talk about his wayward people. Now his word comes to us, and I tried to read it that way very sternly and even as like a disappointed father would be talking to his children the language of hosea 4 we could say is that of tough love god is very dealing very sternly with his people he's being very sharp and very pointed to a disobedient and wayward people but we bristle when we read words like this we especially bristle when we hear Preachers preaching like that, right? Don't come at me judgmental and stern and sharp and harsh. We, we don't like that language. We don't like the way that feels. We, again, we bristle at that. But what we read here is about a God who is displeased with his people. And we don't like to think of God as harsh or disappointed. That's not the God that we would like to fashion, is it? But that is why when we talk about God, when we think about God, when we preach about God, we should be ruthlessly biblical when we think about him, when we talk about him, when we study about him. Least we set up an idolatrous God. So again, we don't like to think of God as judging or disappointed or stern, yet that is who we find here in Hosea chapter 4. Why is God this way toward his people? Why do we have to talk about a, a harsh and judge, judging God? Well, think about it. Gentle and kind warnings, they, they don't always work with our children, do they? Uh, being gentle and kind doesn't always get it. If you have a child, whether you're a teacher or a parent or, or counselor or whatever, if a child is being unruly and, and disobedient, they don't always respond to very kind and warm words. Well, it's the same way with the Lord God in dealing with his people. His people who have become hardened and who have become apathetic toward him. 
he often becomes stern and, and pointed in his discipline of his people. And he does this to get their attention and to draw them back to himself. Gentle warnings are well and good and oftentimes necessary. But often, when we or our children become hardened, when we become ignorant in our disobedience to the Lord, then oftentimes very clear, very precise, and at times indignant instruction is needed to correct God's people. And so that's what's going on in Hosea chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins a new discourse. And we have here a picture not of a loving family or a loving Heavenly Father. We have that of a court of law. And Yahweh, the great judge, and even the prosecutor comes with an indictment against his people. God's people are now being prosecuted. And God, the judge, is making a case against Israel for their sin and for their wickedness. And so that is what we're going to study and what we're going to look at here in Hosea chapter 4. But I want you to think about this. Think about this theme, this sentence, as we work our way through this chapter. Knowledge of God is relationship with God. But ignorance of God leads to destruction. Knowledge of God is what it means to be in relationship with God. But Ignorance of God, ignoring no knowledge of God, leads to destruction. And so we're going to see that theme traced throughout Hosea chapter 4. It's going to serve as kind of the outline. But here, just so you can see it, in verses 1 through 3, we're going to find the indictment. Again, the, the, the court of law here bringing the indictment. And then in verses uh, 4 through 14, roughly, we'll see the contention, God's disagreement with his people. And then last in the chapter, we'll see a warning. So the first here is an indictment. What is an indictment? Well, it's a charge or an accusation for a crime. In verse 1, we see, almost as if a court of law, Hear the word of the Lord, O Israel. Here comes the judgment. Here comes the, the controversy that the Lord has with his people. And so why are the children of Israel, why are the people being indicted? Well, they are being accused of violating the covenant relationship that they have with God. Remember, their covenant relationship with God is a lot like a marriage. There's, there's vows, there's a mutual agreement that takes place, and both parties need to fulfill their vows. Both parties need to keep their end of the covenant. But the simple people have broken their vows with Yahweh their God. And there are three reasons for their indictment. Look there in verse 1. There's a lack of faithfulness. They are an unfaithful people. They are spiritual adulterers. Number two, there's a lack of covenant love that we read about there in verse 1. There's, there's no kindness really in them. There's only selfishness. There's no inclination for them to think about Yahweh their God they're thinking only of themselves and number three they lack knowledge literally there is no acknowledgement of Yahweh God in their lives and they have complete disregard for his law and so here comes the indictment and here are the reasons 
the, this lack of knowledge or this no knowledge of Yahweh their God. That's the real kicker. You know, that's the real thing throughout this whole chapter is the lack of knowledge. The willful ignorance of the people is the most serious of this indictment because it reveals the sinful nature of the people. So why is this so key? Because knowledge of God is what keeps us in relationship with God. Knowing God means to be known by God. If we want to know someone, we need to continue to get to know them, learn about them, yearn for them, worship them as, as, in a relationship with a covenant-keeping God. Knowledge of God keeps us in relationship with God. Remember, knowledge of God is relationship with God, but ignorance of God leads to destruction. And so interestingly, here in Hosea chapter 4, chapter four verse 1, I wish we had more time to turn to Romans chapter 1 and 2. As you can see very clearly in Romans chapter 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul is tracing out an indictment against the wicked and unfaithful people who do not know God and who do not acknowledge God. And so in Romans chapter 1 and 2, as well as Hosea 4, these verses highlight the, the fundamental nature of the problem. It's not that we don't have knowledge of God. It's that sinful man rejects the knowledge of God because we don't want to obey God. We want to, we want to be God. We want to worship ourselves. We want to be in control. And we reject God. And so in verses 4 through 6, if you'll look there, the indictment is even strengthened further. Greater attention is even given to the priest, the pastor's. The ones called to minister to the people of God and the ones called to administer the means of grace so that Yahweh God would be worshipped and glorified and so that his people would be built up. But instead, the priests, they were causing the people to stumble. They were the worst of them. And instead of being a blessing to the people and helping the people worship God, they were a curse to the people. So they, too, are included in the indictment. But look with me in verse 6, Hosea 4, verse 6. Here is the indictment very clearly. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They have rejected knowledge, and they have forgotten the law of God. So there it is. There's the people's sin. There's the reason for the indictment. This is what they are being accused of. No knowledge. Total rejection. Ignorance of God's law. And so now we see the Lord has a contention. He's got reason to be very upset and in disagreement with his people. Here's the point of their trouble. What's, what's going on in the land? How, how bad is it? Hosea describes this grim, horrible picture of Israel during Hosea's time. And why God is so indignant with his people. What happens when the people of God reject the knowledge of God? What happens? What happens to the church? What happened to Israel? What happens to all people when they reject knowledge of God? 
It's a downward progression into sin and misery. Instead of being holy and happy in obedience to God, the people become more sinful and more miserable in an increasing manner. Look in verses 2 and 3. Look at what's going on here. There's complete moral depravity. The creation is even destroyed. There's sinful leadership. There's spiritual emptiness. There's national ruin. Remember, knowledge of God is relationship with God, but ignorance and rejection of God and his ways and willful disobedience leads to destruction. So that's what we have going on here. Look in verse 2. There is complete immorality and wickedness. Every sin you can imagine is being listed here. All their ways are violent. Verse 2 lists a virtual complete break with the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? Why are we to keep them? How are they good? Well, they've managed to break almost every single one of them in one verse. No regard for human life. Complete moral depravity. Verse 2, Hosea says, or Yahweh says, they break all bounds. What does that mean? In Hebrew, this means that if there were any moral laws to break, they've broken them all. If there were any more moral boundaries to, (laughs) to tear down, they tore them all down. Complete immorality and wickedness. And again, we read our Bibles, we read the Old Testament, and we say, those rascal people, why were they so dumb and so ignorant? And we just, again, try to separate ourselves from the Old Testament, what God's Word is teaching. But at least we try to separate ourselves from this picture of the wicked people. Is our culture any different? Is it? Are we any better today? Divorce on demand. Adultery on demand. You can even sign up for a website to do it if you'd like. Abortion. Infanticide. Murder. I mean, can we really separate ourselves from this picture? We could not. But a challenge for us, for the church, for the people of God today, in 2015, for us, a silent church is a worthless church. A silent church is a worthless church. Let me be clear here. I don't think this is a call, and I'm not calling you, to get more involved with politics. We will never find a savior on Capitol Hill. I will, I will guarantee you that. There are no promises that if a Republican gets elected, all will be well. None. This is a call for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to use the spiritual weapons that God has given us. What are the spiritual weapons that God has given us to affect the culture of Christ? It's to preach the gospel. The only thing guaranteed to change hearts, 
change lives, change a culture. The gospel we must preach. And we must also apply the gospel. And I don't mean go hitting people on top of the head with Bibles. I mean truthfully telling them about the radical, life-changing nature of the gospel where Jesus comes and he forgives dirty, rotten sinners and he gives them a new lease on life. And he makes all things new. We must use the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God to call people to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ. So let us not get sidetracked with these other things that that are good, but they don't have lasting ultimate change. Let us affect the culture with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be silent must move on we're just in verse two verse three creation even mourns a destructive environment the land has dried up there's no fruit there's no crop there's no meat everything is wasting away god's creation is being desecrated because even creation is going to pay the price of sinful man Even creation is going to pay the price of a sinful generation who rejects God. And because the creation mourns, everyone who dwells in it will languish, it says. Think of that's the word we don't use very much. Languish, waste away, dry up, fruitless, good for nothing. This will be the fruit that will be born from a sinful generation. Skipping down to verses 7 through 9, we'll see even disgraceful leadership will be this moral decline into sin and misery. Because the epitome of the wickedness of the people was their adulterous priests, the priests who were, excuse me, just as bad as the people. The priests were literally feeding on the sins of the people, encouraging them to sin so that they could eat their unholy sacrifices. Hey, have you given your cow to Baal this week? To ball, <laughs> because you need to bring it this week because you know the priests are hungry. They were encouraging the people to sin. Ungodly people who have ungodly leaders who do nothing except bring corruption and destruction. And oh, this is a warning to us, brothers and sisters, that we make every effort to see that in all situations, in all forms of leadership, in all of life, that we're electing, nominating, choosing godly men and women to lead us so that we will not be led astray. Moving on, verse 10 through 13. How does this decline into sin and misery keep going? Well, there's a void. There's a spiritual void. There's eating, verse 10, but no satisfaction. There is emptiness and dissatisfaction in all their ways. There's a complete rejection of God. And frustration sets in rather than satisfaction because the pursuit of vain and worthless things, because of the pursuit of idolatry, there's no satisfaction. There's nothing to fill that spiritual void that is created in one's life when we leave out God. 
oftentimes we look at the world around us, and even when we look at our own sinful hearts, we look around us and we think, I don't see God judging people for their sin and debauchery. I mean, I don't see God raining down fire from heaven on these bad, sinful people. Why is that? I mean, I don't sense God's judgment in my life every time I sin. Why is that? Brothers and sisters, it's important to know that God's judgment does not always come by force. Just like parents, your discipline doesn't always come in the form of a spanking, does it, to your children? God's discipline, God's judgment oftentimes will come by giving those who dishonor him and disobey him, by giving them over to their sin. You want your idolatry? Do you want your sin? You can have it, and it will destroy you. You will eat of your sin. You will feast on your sin, but it will not satisfy. You can keep on giving your sacrifices, but they will shame you, and they will not satisfy. There will only be emptiness and dissatisfaction in store. James Montgomery Boyce says, when knowledge of the true God is refused, false gods inevitably come in to take the place of the true God. God. My friends, if we don't acknowledge God, if we don't know him, if we don't fear him, if we don't serve him and love him and know him, if we don't acknowledge him, then only emptiness and dissatisfaction are in store. Go and read all the famous biographies or life stories of all these atheists who are just militant, who are just yeah, 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 and all over. And at the end of the life, they all, they all, none of them proclaim, I'm so glad I was a militant atheist. I'm so glad that I rejected God my whole life. Almost every one of them you can read will just say, I just don't know. We cannot reject God. We must love him we must pursue him because if we pursue life's pleasures apart from holiness and righteousness it will leave you empty it will leave you unsatisfied look at that song we sang satisfied in your bulletin feeding on the filth around me till my strength was almost gone got that picture just filling our lives and filling our mouths with so much filth hoping that will satisfy if we just keep stuffing it in stuffing it in and by the time we've stuffed it all in, we're just completely worn out. Our strength is almost gone because still at the end, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. The filth, the sin, the idolatry, it will not fill you. It will not satisfy you. It will leave you stark. And the ultimate is, at the end of verse 14, ruin on a national scale. A people without understanding, a people who do not acknowledge God, who do not love him and keep the covenant relationship, shall come to ruin. But there's a warning. 
is a warning for us in verses 15 through 19. And so the warning is given, and a warning is needed at this point. In verse 15, God warns Judah. Judah was the, the faithful remnant in the south. Israel was the unfaithful people in the north. And so God is warning Judah, do not be like Israel. Don't become guilty like Israel. Don't go up to Gilgal or Beth-Avon, these places that were associated with idolatrous evil worship. Don't go to those places. Don't partake in idolatry. Don't give yourselves over to idols. Don't be like Israel. Israel is guilty. They're like a stubborn cow wandering around out in the pasture. Don't be like that. They love their sin. Don't be like that, Judah. Is that not the warning that God is giving us today? Is that not the warning that God is giving to our declining culture where you cannot even turn on the TV or listen to music without being fed sin? We must heed the words that God gives to Judah to to separate, to leave alone the sinful and sinful practices. We must particularly separate and move away and get out of the way of things that keep us from worshiping the Lord God in spirit and truth. So what is God warning you about in your life right now? What idol, what situation is God calling you to remove yourself from? Is it friends who do nothing but get you into trouble? Is it friends or a relationship that does nothing but draw you away from God, rather to God? Is it a business relationship that is calling you daily to violate your conscience and you know it's wrong? What areas of your life are there spiritual red flags going up all over the place that you need to watch out for? Is God warning you from his word right now? Flee from wickedness. Flee from adultery. Flee from your sinful ways and run to him. This is a clear and present warning to us, brothers and sisters. We live in a declining culture. Sin is virtually celebrated by our government. It's celebrated in our schools. It's celebrated in the media. media. So how do we now live in this culture if this is the case? How do we live faithful lives to God in a sinful world? We are to be in the world, yet not of the world. We separate ourselves from worldliness. We separate ourselves from anything that draws us away from God. Particularly, we separate ourselves from false and shallow religion that passes so easily and and as true. This is what disturbs me the most, especially in the church. Shallow false, easy believism religion. What is this shallow and false religion that looks so real to us that we're to avoid? What does it look like? Very simple. There's some really easy smell tests. A religion that celebrates love, 
Love wins and separates this, this love of Christ. A religion that separates love and only love and separates that love from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is no true religion. A religion that promotes health and wealth and trips to heaven and all other types of nonsense that do not include a Christ and a cross, we are to separate from. A religion that says that you can keep your idols as long as they don't mess up your Sunday morning worship routine is worthless. Ultimately, we must separate ourselves from anything in the church or anything in the culture that does not preach Christ and him crucified. And that is what that table before us means. This table is before us to remind us, to teach us, that idols don't save us. Governments do not save us. Ignorance will destroy us. We need Christ. All we have is Christ. We must preach the gospel every day and often feed upon the gospel. Feed ourselves with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will not be ignorant, so that we will not forget and go astray. John Calvin says, Men must often be awakened, for forgetfulness of God often creeps over them. They indulge themselves. And nothing is more difficult than to lead them to God. Nay, when, when they have made some advances, they soon turn aside to some other course. And I would add, this is why we need the preaching of God's word. This is why we need the means of grace that is set before us, lest we forget. Lest we become ignorant. Lest we lose, not, lack, lose knowledge of him every day day let us not be ignorant and so be destroyed let us know and believe the words of the lord jesus christ who said in john chapter 17 verse 3 that this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent and that is just what that table before us reminds us of this morning. We need Christ. We need to know him more every day and feed upon him more every day. At least we forget. At least we become ignorant. Let's not. Let's encourage one another all the more as that day is approaching. Let's pray. We need you. Oh, how we need you, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to bless us, to strengthen us, to remind us, lest we turn aside, lest we go and seek satisfaction from something that does not satisfy. Lord, please, let us not forget. Let us remember every day all day, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.